0: Hebrews 10:19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the, whole, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened, up, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the, the hope we profess, for, we, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the, lo- the Lord. Thanks, Barb. You don't just go here. You're a prayer deacon. You gotta say that. <laughs> How's everyone? Good. Great. I'm all right. I'm a little under the weather, but got some Advil cold and sinus. Uh, let's put the teaching text back up there for one second. I want to just do something super simple. I'm going to move this stand over so we're all looking at it together. Uh, oh no, too close to the mic, too too close to the speakers. Um, I just want to ask what, what kind of observations can we make on just a cursory a cursory reading of, of this text we, we spoke a few weeks ago about eating the book, eating the scriptures, coming to them, expecting that there would be life from God, nourishment from God for our souls in his word, and so I want even when we 're reading our teaching text together on, on on Sundays, that you would be imagining that that 's the case that you 're not just hearing something that someone else is going to talk about, but you're hearing words that God might use in a living and active way to nourish your soul, to speak to a secret place and. Your heart or mind to just do something that only God could do through through his word. And so, very simply, what do you see as you move as you move through? Start starting at the top. Therefore, brothers and sisters. So we know uh, a, a Bible teacher once said, if you see a therefore, ask. Yes. Fantastic, ask what it's there for. So we know that whatever's being said here is building on what's already been written in this chapter or in this letter so far. Therefore, brothers and sisters, so right off the bat, we know this text is addressing people who from whatever their original background, they've been made family with one another, okay? So then we keep going. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up uh, for us through the curtain that is his blood. So very simply, We've been made family and a way has been opened up for us to approach God with confidence because of what Jesus has done. So we have Jesus on on the cross and the things he says are astonishing if we press into them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus was abandoned on the cross, that his body was broken, that he fully absorbs our sin and brokenness, anything whatsoever that would keep us apart from God. On the cross, Jesus absorbs that. And then this mystery happens in first century Israel that the veil in the temple, that separated the rest of the temple from the most holy place where God's presence dwelt was torn in two from the top. So God is saying the way is open, not just that you can get in, but now the Holy Spirit's coming out and is gonna fill people. It's gonna make their actual lives like, like what the holiest place in the temple was, that your life could become like that. because Not because you're great religious achievers or you've you know, followed the path perfectly, but because what Jesus has done on the cross He's opened the way with confidence. So that's this historical event that we keep looking back to and say, Jesus has done this and it means that we can come to God. But not only that, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Not only has Jesus opened the way, he sustains and maintains our welcome in the house of God. He is the high priest over over the house of God. So what does that mean? We're not just looking back to a historic event where Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He's currently maintaining our welcome by interceding for us, by applying the blood that he has shed for us. So in a sense, like whatever way that you imagine you might be excluded from God's welcoming love, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no my blood was shed my love weighs more than your sin thank you very much we're very good at even through self-pity applying a great weight to our guilty conscience and that sometimes that's appropriate but but god's love weighs more god's blood shed is more effective than you are he's more effective at saving than you are at sinning so Jesus maintains our place before God. So what do we do? Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us take hold of this promise that Jesus has opened a way and he's maintaining a way. And let us hold on to it with literally all that we have as human beings. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. This is what we have to hold on to no matter what. Whatever else we lose, we can't lose this. And then... Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. I like Paul gets a little bit passive aggressive there. As some people are doing, not coming to church. (laughs) They're not there to hear that, but it's fine. Um, But encouraging one another. (laughs) Paul had something to say to you in the letter he sent to us. Um, That's how first century Christians talked, just like that. and even more, as, and all the more as you see the day, the day appro- approaching. So in light of this staggering reality, right, what God has done, he's opened a way that you can be welcomed into the family of God by Jesus' blood. And Jesus is maintaining that place of open welcome for you. The door is open for you. Now, what should we do in response to that? You know, keep getting together. Like, just don't stop getting together. That's pretty important. This is a huge part of how we hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess is just keep getting together. <laughs> I, I always think of uh, um, Robin Williams as the genie uh, in Aladdin, and he's like, "Phenomenal cosmic power, itty bitty living space," <laughs> and they're like phenomenal theological treatise on the gospel and welcome and and keep it going by you know getting together and eating food that's that's how the movement of Jesus goes forward keep getting together keep eating food Build one another up, spur one another on, make a habit of getting around each other and speaking life to one another. Be the people who continually remind one another who we really are. Not who we really are because of our achievements and abilities, who we really are because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross. The writer of Hebrews takes the most grand theological thoughts in existence, he reminds us of them, and then he uses them as motivation for the most ordinary thing in the world, Just keep getting together. So, you got to remind one another of this. Hebrews is identifying one of the key rhythms of the kingdom of God, just to, uh, to overstate it at this point. One of the key rhythms of the kingdom of God is this. God does something astonishing. He heals, he rescues, he saves, and then people get together because of it over and over again and they eat. Now, you might think that doesn't sound spiritual enough, but God certainly does think it is. 2,000 years ago, just one more example, 2,000 years ago, when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost and birthed the church, when what Jesus had won for us on the cross, he said, the When the veil is being torn, what does that mean? It means the presence of God is is accessible and available to us, that our life can become an actual temple. Then the veil is torn when Jesus is on the cross and then Pentecost comes just a few weeks later and what happens? People become the dwelling place of God. They experience the lived reality of what Jesus won for them on the cross. Their lives are filled with the spirit and some of them are praising God in languages that they never studied in such a way that people from all over the world are gathered in this one place in Jerusalem and they begin to believe that what Jesus has done and counts for them, for their family, for their people, and, it, and the movement of Jesus begins to spill the banks of Israel and, and grow into the cities of the Roman Empire. At Pentecost, this magnificent reality comes breaking into our hearts, and then what do the people do in response? Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The very life of God comes breaking into people's souls, changing them forever. And what the people do is they just keep getting together and eating and praying. And sharing their life and, and, and doing like tremendously ordinary things together with new purpose and new and new life. They kept hearing the message. They kept saying, let's not forget what we've, what we've heard. Let us be nourished by it. They broke bread and they prayed. This is probably referring to communion. They, ca- they came to this, this meal that the Lord had given them week after week. God's power and presence was evident in their midst. They shared their stuff with each other. They were super generous. They made a habit of getting together, they ate in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts, with praise and favor, and God kept adding to their number those who were being saved. This is the Jesus movement. I I love what Tim Tim Chester has a a book that I commend to you called A A Meal with Jesus. And he he says this, I just think it's so helpful. There are three ways That the New Testament completes the sentence, the Son of Man came. So speaking about Jesus, the Son of Man came, and the the New Testament completes that sentence three different ways. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's one way. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the second way. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. The first two are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and save the lost. The third is a statement of method. How was he going to do this? How is Jesus going to save the world? He came eating and drinking. We're in the middle of Lent. We're talking about fasting from the world to feast on God. Some of you grew up with a vision of religion that was all about what you weren't supposed to do. It was all about um, how to say no to the bad things out there in the world. But, um, so so we're very familiar perhaps with the the don'ts. Um, We get the fasting part, that there's many things we should be saying no to, but the scriptures keep insisting over and over again that we aren't just letting go of things for the sake of it. That self-denial is not an end in itself, but we're letting go of things in the world so that we can receive the things of God, so that we can actually get something way better. And the New Testament keeps insisting this. One of the key ways God is advancing his kingdom in the world is through people sharing meals together. So I, wanna, I want us to understand that you are invited, even in Lent, even in Lent, you are invited to feast together to join in this feast, feasting on God, feasting on his word, feasting in the presence of the spirit, you're invited to do that together. And that is one of the primary missions of this church and the church across the ages, okay? I love what Arthur Boris says here. If you can read the gospels without getting hungry, you're not paying attention, In fact, one of the crucial ways Jesus accomplished his love and salvation was he kept eating with people. In the Gospel of Luke in particular, Jesus is either heading to a meal or from a meal the entire time. He's always going to eat. In in Luke, I'm just going to give it to you in case you think I'm making this up. In Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. So the, right, clear lines of, like the table in the first century, Israel was one of the places where the clearest lines of social status and and religious delineation would have taken place. You can't eat with us because you don't keep kosher. You don't keep these dietary restrictions that define us as a community. And Jesus kept crossing those lines. In Luke 5, he eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the, at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Mary and Martha. In Luke 11, Jesus contem- condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than just their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus, who was a small man but great tree climber. In Luke 22, (laughs) we have the count of the last supper. In Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two of his disciples in Emmaus, and later he cooks fish for the disciples on the beach. Fantastic, huh? And when the movement of Jesus goes forward, his people are sharing meals with one another. They're coming every, every week to a meal, and then they're inviting each other and outsiders into their homes to gather around the table. This is an important part of the life of feasting on God, is doing it together in community around tables with food. Such an ordinary thing like sharing a meal is woven into God's redemptive plan. I think I've made the case for you, but I want to give it to you, not just in the Gospels very quickly in the scope of the the whole picture. Actually, a meal in the presence of God is one of the great rewards that salvation offers for us, that one way we're going to eat in the presence of God together. The prophets talk about it. It's, It's woven all through the picture of what salvation will mean. The first thing God does for Adam and Eve in the garden, this paradise that he's made for them, is give them the menu. Eat from everything I've made. You're going to love it. Avoid this one tree. The climax of the Exodus, this act of salvation, is commemorated when, when the meal is shared between the elders of Israel and God on the mountain in Exodus 24. Isaiah promises, the, uh, the most prolific prophet in Israel promises a banquet of rich foods that will never end in Isaiah 25. Jesus anticipates this perpetual meal in the feeding of the 5,000. He's like hearkening back to Moses and saying, God's kingdom is providing nourishment for your very lives, your bodies and your souls. The Last Supper looks forward to the time when Jesus will eat with his disciples in the kingdom of God. Then we know Peter, as the movement breaks out, right? Peter, he's keeping kosher and has his whole life. He's, he's marked out by the dietary restrictions of Israel. And yet the mission God gives him Peter has this dream where God puts all this unclean food on a sheet and tells to Peter to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, no, thank you, God. I like Peter's boldness. God shows up in a dream and says, I want you to eat this. And he's like, no. He's like, I I want you to eat this. And then he eats it because he's going to have to be willing to break out of these things that have marked him out and to be marked out by something else, by the radical, inclusive love and grace of God so that now he will be able to eat with his friends and his enemies like never before. And the Bible ends with us celebrating a meal at the the wedding supper of the lamb in Revelation. Every time we eat together as Christians, in the name of Jesus, we're anticipating this hope. Every time we eat together as Christians in the name of Jesus, we're anticipating this hope. Now, you can just share tacos with someone and not think about God whatsoever. That may not necessarily be anticipating the future hope of the kingdom. But when we are intentional about gathering around our table in the name of of Jesus, we have a profound opportunity on hand to advance the kingdom of God. So let me tell you something that you've probably already gotten from this, you may already know. It's important in Lent, and it's certainly important in Easter Tide. is that we can eat to share God's grace. The early church and the church across the ages has gotten together in groups, big groups sometime, small groups even more, and eaten together. They've eaten together, they've prayed together, they've welcomed one another, and they've rehearsed the gospel I'm probably going to be out of work in heaven. What? What? You don't need me. Think about the other preachers there. But those of you who are fabulous at making food for one another and welcoming people in, you're going to have plenty to do. I'm probably going to be a bartender or work at a golf course or something. <laughs> I've thought about my prospects, my resume, working on it. But right now, you can anticipate the kingdom through your hospitality, through your willingness to make food and open it up to, to people in our community, both those who you know and love and those who, who, who you're just getting to know, or those who might feel like outsiders, to bring them in is a way to rehearse the gospel and to anticipate the future hope of the kingdom of God. I love what Tim Chester says in that book, A Meal with Jesus. He says this, we can make community and mission sound like specialized activities, Some people have a vested interest in doing this because it makes them feel extraordinary. Or we focus on dynamic personalities who can hold an audience and lead a movement. Some push mission beyond the scope of ordinary Christians. But the son of man came eating and drinking. It's not complicated. True, it's not always easy. It involves people invading your space or going to places that don't feel comfortable, but it's not complicated. If you share a meal three or four times a week and you have a passion for Jesus, then you will be building up the Christian community and reaching out in mission. We talk about something here called the priesthood of all believers, that every single one of you, if you've walked through the doors of this church, you have the capacity for representing what God and his character is like to the rest of us. That God is not just a solo God, that in his very nature is community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that for God to really be known as God is, it has to be known in community, which means when you come in, you represent because of your story, because of the particular way you've been made in the image of God, because of the things that have happened to you, because of the way you've experienced life, you represent for us a way that we might see what God is like in a way that we have before. And that we can mediate God's presence and mediate God's word and mediate God's love to one another as priests in the kingdom together. And one of the best venues for doing that is just around a meal, around a table, where we're just being intentional about rehearsing the gospel. So who of us could not do this I feel like there's a silent cry of some introverts in the room who are like, me? I couldn't. You totally could. Not brushing past that, right? But it can be starting small and practicing and learning and growing in that, that sense of welcome and hospitality. I love what Sky Jathani says. Our homes are to be hospitals. Refuge, refuge, refuges. <laughs> Reading with Advil make a YouTube thing of it. Um, Refuge of healing, radiating (laughs) the light of heaven in our dinner tables are to be operating tables, the place where broken souls are made whole again. This is such a good quote, I'm messing it up. In our churches, people should find rest from their battle from acceptance. I just want to say that with a sigh of relief that it should come with. In our churches, people should find rest from their battle for acceptance acceptance and release from the lie that they are nothing more than the goods they possess. When we lower our defenses, when we remove our facades and our peepholes, and we begin to truly present with one another, to be truly present with one another, then the healing power of the gospel can begin its work. I'm going to have to have somebody else come up and read the quotes from here on out. So how would we go about this? If you're not convinced already, I just want to tell you that you have a profound opportunity to be advancing the kingdom in this most simple way, sharing meals with one another. Now, the, the, the writer of Hebrews helps give us some guidelines for how to do it, how to do it well, right? Not every time that you have tacos with someone and you just chat, ch- chat about what, whatever happens to be on the top of your mind, are, are we necessarily doing this as well as we could? The writer of Hebrews instructions are important, so we're going to come back to them. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I'll say it again, as we said in the beginning, we have been made family. And that helps define these instructions. We have been made family. And this is written as the church is expanding throughout the Roman Empire. It's beginning to draw people in whose socioeconomic backgrounds are different, whose skin colors are different, whose, whose natural culture that they lean to are, are different. And so into that, to, to Jews and Gentiles, to slave and free across the spectrum of, of the, the social reality, he's saying, you become brothers and sisters, no matter what your starting place, Jesus has brought us together. What does that mean? It means in the church, our criteria for how we evaluate one another is not the criteria that's used outside the church. We actually don't consider one another in those terms anymore. We practice gospel rehearsal, bending the grace that we've received to God, from God towards one another and saying, if God, who has the highest standards in the universe, can say to you, welcome, then I certainly can say to you, welcome. We've been made family. Second thing is, your meals can be gospel rehearsal. They have that that potential. We can remind one another of the spectacular welcome that we've been given in Jesus, that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body since we have this great high priest over the house of God. So what do we do? How would you have a meal that's gospel rehearsal? It doesn't necessarily have to be a forced, awkward conversation where someone opens it up and says, everyone go around and share something nice about everyone else. It could be, could be a great way to start, not not knocking that at, at all, but it's a place where we are trying to be intentional about reminding each other of our true identities. You are a son or daughter of God, no matter how you feel this week. You are a son or daughter of God, no matter that that you're looking for work right now and it's cutting against the grain of you, you feeling like your identity is, is secure. You're a son or daughter of God, even if you've been anxious and depressed this week. You're a son or daughter of God, even if you feel like your addiction to pornography keeps you light years away from him. You're a son or daughter of God. To speak that to one another, to extend, to be tangible reminders of the grace that, that God has given us. One of the most powerful things in the world is when you sense the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Some of us, like, that feels like it comes very easy to you. The rest of us, we need human beings to remind us of that for a while before we might become convinced of it. And it's so beautiful when you can be the one who's reinforcing the grace of God in someone's life by saying, I see you this way, the way God sees you. You you've been forgiven. Your sin doesn't weigh more than Christ's blood. Don't be so prideful. You're not that great at sinning. You're called. You're called by God. You're meant to be a full participant in His kingdom. It's not that He has great work for some Christians in the kingdom to do and you're relegated to some second class citizen status. No. You're fully welcomed then as a son or daughter of God. We speak these new identities. You know what? Your future is secure. Whatever the uncertainty of this moment in your life, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Who's going to unseal what the Holy Spirit has sealed? Name for me the power that can do that. No one. We speak the welcoming words of God to one another. This is what it means for our meals to be gospel re- rehearsals. It means that we, we remind each other that of this confidence that we have to come before God. We remind each other that, hey, we've been, we've been made clean by his blood, and we're daily renewed, and, and our conscience is being sprinkled by, by, by the application of his redemption through Jesus being the high priest. Meals is gospel rehearsal, and then meals to spur one another on. The text says, consider how you can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I see, I see this with my boys, like trying to unlearn the way of the world. Like I made them, I put them on a word limit in the car on the way here. Because every single thing that, that got brought up, like Elijah was talking about some math game they play on the computer in his class. And Luke was like, I play that too. And Elijah was like, I get to this level. He's like, I got to that level too. And it's like, everything was like, they're just, they're brothers. And there's like the sibling rival reality, but they're like, they're like, they're like, hyper into this way of defining themselves by their achievements before one another, right? And you can see that in community in the world, right? We're we're constantly posturing. We're putting our, our best face forward, our most wonderfully filtered photographs to show how our lives are better than everyone else's. But when we come to the gospel table together, we have the opportunity to spur one another on, to drop that facade, to drop that pretending, to drop that sort of constant competitive achieving to get up on one another. And we have the opportunity just to speak life to each other. The word consider here is to give your full mental vigor and imagination. To daydream about ways to build others up. That's what that, that, that phrase means. Daydream about ways to make people feel loved. Daydream about ways, not to distinguish yourself, but daydream about ways to, the word encourage means to put courage in someone else. Think about the ways around your table that you might be able to put courage in someone else. I see some of you guys practicing this around our church right now, and it's so inspiring to my heart. My, my, my dear friend Tyler Staten, the pastor of Trinity Grace Williamsburg, he said, he said this, I thought it was so helpful. The bread of life that truly uh, satisfies is tasted in self-forgetfulness, not self-obsession. When your imagination is captivated by other people, then you begin to experience the life of God. Why is that? Because God's imagination is not captivated in self-obsession. The imagination of God, as crazy as it is, is captivated by you, giving you life, lavishing you with love, blessing you and satisfying you. When we act like God, we get to feel like God because we participate in his eternal life. When we act self-obsessed, we get to feel like the world because we participate, participate in this temporary, fleeting life. God's inviting us into the freedom that He experiences as a being who's others-oriented. Even in his very nature, right? The father is deferring to the son who's deferring to the spirit who's deferring to the father. There's this radical deferring to one another even in the very nature of God. That's why it says God is love. And when his his community is living that out, we're moving towards the other. We're we're moving towards the the other in love and encouragement and and building each other up and reminding each other of our true identities and spurring one another on. Bottom line, a meal certainly at least feeds the body. It's a great gift that we can, we can give to one another to make food for each other and then to have one another into our homes. We have to, we have to eat to keep going in life. So when we get together, one of the things we're doing is we're rehearsing this reality. We are dependent and God is providing. When we eat, that's a picture. We are dependent, and God is providing. Some of you have such a gift at this, at preparing food and environments to make other people feel welcome. I want you to just think in your mind about meals that have been life altering. Times around a table where your life has been changed, or redirected, or reinforced, or built up. I was trying to think about this for me. Early in, in, in my marriage, uh, I came home one evening, and Allison, like my favorite food for my entire life was my mother's chicken pot pie, okay? And I came home, and Allison had gotten the recipe and made, and made it exactly like mom. And uh, in a totally not weird way, I was like, that's fantastic. Um, and <laughs> not like you're like my mom, not like that at all. Um, but this chicken pot pie is delicious, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was young and Alice and I w- were, were dating, and, and one of the first married couples that I became friends with ended up becoming the worship leader of our church. They helped us start this church, Zach and Stacey Williams. Some of you guys know them. When we first met, we were right out of college in, in West Palm, and I was the Kramer in their life. They were this young married couple, and I would just come bursting into their house, be like, what are you guys up to? Wanna to watch you do something? And uh, you know, like, they're married, and so a few times it was awkward that they hadn't locked their door. Um, and here I come, Kramer, into their life, see what's going on. Um, but I, I remember they had us over for dinner one time, and just like, it was taco night. And we had, we had this bonding time over the, this like, very simple meal. And at one point, like, we were messing around, and um, a, a, a a napkin on the table caught on fire by a candle, and all of us were like freaking out, trying to get it into a cup. And Stacy was at the at the at the kitchen sink, and she somehow, in a, a moment of Herculean strength, ripped the the faucet apart. And so, like in the moment, we finally put this napkin out, and the t- you know we're, we're full from tacos, and we've gotten the fire out. And then we look up, and Stacy's just like with a crazed look on her face, and she's holding the faucet. You're like, how did this happen? What happened to you? She's like, I have no idea. And then she tr- goes to turn the faucet on. And without, it just sprays it right in the face. <laughs> Literally one of my all-time favorite moments around a meal, taco night at the Williams. I'll never forget when uh, my friend and mentor, Randy Rubel, ordered Chinese food for us in Mandarin in the hospital as we were waiting on my dad to pass. And we just sort of simply sat over this, you know, meal in, in plastic tins. And I knew he was there with me. And he was just sitting there and uh, appreciating what my dad's life had been and and waiting for this, you know, horrible moment to come. I remember sitting in a mud hut in Tibet and being given uh, dried yak meat and butter tea and hard candies. And it was a feast for this family to to offer us. And I just remember feeling the spirit of just like intense welcome and also realizing that I do not like dried yak meat (laughs) or butter tea. But the hard candies were all right. I, 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 I was thinking back to just a few Halloweens ago when Jessica and Matt Guerin opened up their home to people in the community to come by as they were trick-or-treating. And I remember sitting in this, this room like, it's kind of bizarre to be in like a small New York apartment with all these crockpots full of literally the best soup I've ever tasted in my life. And everyone's dressed up in costume and I was just thinking like, this is such a weird thing. Um, and yeah, it's a picture of community and it's, it's a beautiful moment. What, what what are the meals that you remember? What are the the places where you've opened up your home or you've been welcomed in, and you felt the love of God present? In the most simple ways possible, you have the opportunity to be an agent of that type of renewal. This week, this brunch today. It's not a mystery. It doesn't require expertise. It just requires openness. Because meals don't just feed the body, they can feed the soul. Robert Capone says, while food keeps us alive, that is its smallest temporary work. Its eternal purpose is to excite our senses in preparation for the day we shall sit down in the heavenly banquet and see how gracious our God is. Food is the daily sacrament of unnecessary goodness ordained for a continual remembrance that the world will always be more delicious than it is useful. As we linger over food with those that we love or those that we're just getting to know, those who for us it is easy to connect with or those who we we are stretching to show welcoming love to, we have the chance to be intentional about spurring one another on, about recognizing that this is a sanctuary place where we can commune with God and commune with one another. It's a chance not to be hearers of the word, but to be doers Who hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider, let us imagine, let us daydream, let us make tacos and talk about how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, putting courage into one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In Jesus' day, meals were places where the clearest lines of exclusion could be drawn and he kept going to dinner with people that he wasn't supposed to in order to save souls to extend the extravagant welcome of God's salvation. And we carry that on. That is the movement we are in the stream of. We have that opportunity. Every week, we come to a table together, and all throughout the week, you have a table that you can invite others into to rehearse the gospel, to daydream about how to spur one another on, to not waste the opportunity that community like this is, let's not just get together and talk about what movies we thought should have won the Oscar. Let's get together and imagine how we might spur one another on to life, to love, to good deeds. It is such a powerful opportunity. Let's not squander it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that To commemorate your salvation, you gave us a bath to be immersed in water. So simple to represent your salvation, to remind us of your sacrificial love, you gave us a meal, bread and a cup, that your church, after the spirit of God fell, just kept getting together and eating and loving one another. I pray we could be that community. I pray we would not despise the simplicity and the beauty of those opportunities pray that we would be a church that makes the most of them, that we would feast together, feast on you, feast in a way alternative to the world. I pray you would speak, Holy Spirit, uh, to each individual and to us as a community here about how we are meant to respond. Maybe it's so simple. We, maybe just this week we think, I'm going to make a list, invite people over and have dinner. Show us how we're meant to respond, God, and lead us as we come to your table to be nourished by your love and salvation, and to go out full, to be broken and poured out for one another. In Christ's name, amen.